Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3. Delight to see our good friend, my uh, dear friend, uh, John Shattuck, former Congressman um, Shattuck. He used to represent Arizona's 4th Congressional District here, the old 4th Congressional District, which uh, was Central Phoenix and certainly where we're broadcasting from. He's now the head of Shattuck Associates, LLC, where he will represent anyone who has had a problem with any government, um, has a problem with any government, or might have a problem with any government entity in the future, which gives him a customer base of about seven and a half billion people. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Just get that to scale at Shattuck Associates and we can all retire early. The government's harassing you. I can help. (laughs) It's good to see you, man. I was... um, You've been around a long time. What what has happened um, to our political leadership? I was down at the state legislature today doing some... uh, doing some, well, it was volunteer work, but it was on behalf of um, higher ed reform. And um, there's like maybe four members, I would say, are really good. And as I'm kind of criticizing that body for just seeming to be a little bit under the par that we might expect, John, maybe it's true nationally, too. You know, we have a Senate, what, 48, 49 Republicans I don't know. There's four or five I could say are really good. You and I probably could name the same four or five. Probably would. Probably would name the same four. Let's try it. Let's see. Uh, I think we'd agree Ted Cruz, uh, Tom Cotton, uh, Rand Paul most days. Um, Okay. (laughs) There's three. You said Cotton. um, Uh, Cotton, Cruz, Rubio maybe on some days. Some days. Not all. Uh, Not all. We're leaving out some others. We're, yeah, maybe, or, but maybe we're not. I mean, this is kind of kind of an issue, I guess, I'm raising that we're not sending our best anymore. I think is, Ron Johnson is pretty yeah, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Johnson's really good. You're right. He's solid. Yep. Um, and we'll, we'll think of another, but the point abides. The point is taken. We should be, even if we could name eight or ten, even if we could, that's not great. That's not great, John. And in the House, we'd probably have the same issue. Now, when you were there, could you have done like 50 in those days? Maybe. Maybe closer. Well, closer to 50 than eight. Yeah. uh, But not not a huge number. Combined with the House, though, you could probably get to 50. But I think it it clearly has gotten worse. Uh, It has clearly moved um, down the scale. We're, We're getting by with fewer and fewer real leaders. Yeah. Uh, in in part, the pressure to get reelected, the sense that our leaders are more politicians than principal leaders is clearly there. Here in Arizona, I, I think it's gotten noticeably worse. Yeah. Uh, when I was working the legislature for Bob Corbin and trying to pass criminal laws that the state needed and other measures. Bob was uh, uh, attorney general. Attorney general, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, in that day, they say that more Arizona businesses were Arizona-based, uh-huh. and it was absolutely true 
that those businesses realized if they didn't play a role at the legislature, if they didn't become involved, if they didn't do uh, kind of their job in supporting smart, talented, uh, hardworking people, then things could go south yeah. and do a lot of damage. And so they supported people like Jane D. Hull or like Burton Barr yeah. or like Stan Turley mm-hmm. uh, and uh, on down the list. And they weren't just on the Republican side. They supported Alfredo Gutierrez, who was a very articulate and capable leader for the Democrats. They supported uh, Hamilton. Art Hamilton, yeah. Art Hamilton mm-hmm. who was African-American yeah. and still, I think, here in town with uh, Salt River Project. They supported him. He was a bright and talented leader who did a good job uh, for the Democrats. So there were serious and, I think, smart people uh, who were supported and encouraged to run. And I'm not sure that happens anymore. Some people say that it's because you know, the banks are all headquartered somewhere else and the big businesses are all headquartered somewhere else. And these large companies that have come into Arizona, they, you know, they establish an outpost in Arizona, but the leadership of those companies is somewhere else, either back east or uh, perhaps in California. And that that has been a part of the deterioration. I think uh, some of the public funding measures have done damage. Yeah, I was going to ask you, too, about campaign finance and the reelection system. I have a lot of issues. Oh, by the way, I think we'd agree John Kennedy from Louisiana. John Kennedy was actually he's the great. first one I was going to yeah, name. Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I thought I'd I haven't seen him in the news in a while, but he's always he, a pleasure. He, he is, yeah. and he's rock solid. Yeah. You listen yeah. to him, and he reasons his way. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that is a big part of it. I think that a lot of Americans today— believe that representative government think means that our elected representatives are supposed to go and do what we want. And yet, if you go back and read Edmund Burke right. or others right. who were thought leaders on these issues, that's not at all what they said. Right. What they said was that we're going to elect representatives whose full-time work will be studying the issues and voting, and they are to vote what they believe is right. And if it happens that their constituents agree with them, fine. If it happens that their constituents disagree, then their job is to go home and make the arguments and tell the people why they voted the way they did and convince them. Uh, There's a, uh, I guess it was a speech that Burke gave where... Your representative owes you not his industry only, but his judgment. And he betrays you instead of serving you if he sacrifices it to your opinion. Perfect. Right? And and today, I think, I think many who are there think they're just supposed to go vote how they think their constituents will vote. And, of course, that dovetails with their uh, motivation because so many go to stay a lifetime if they can accumulate power and to do that well they just want to be popular not right it's not what are we doing you know to save america what are we doing to make america stronger what are we doing to lead in the world it's what am i doing to get reelected can i bring home the bacon uh, that my constituents will like and will uh, reward me by voting me back into office and i i think that's been a huge detriment to the process well i was not friendly with you. I mean, we weren't enemies. We just didn't know each other when you were in Congress, most of your tenure, at least part of the early part. And I was in D.C. at the time. But your name was prominent. I mean, you would have been on the list 
if this conversation were happening in 1995, 6, 7, whenever, if there were two people in a studio saying, who are our great congressmen, your name would have been on every conservative's list. Um, and yet, you Very know... Very nice of you to say. No, no, but it's true. I mean, your reputation was large. And I think it loomed large. You weren't in leadership. Uh, you were the head of the Republican Study Committee later. But, yes, this is a compliment, but really an illustration that you made your reputation for, you know, being an outspoken representative who stood for something. You know, there were a lot of the class of 94, we forget, whose names, I mean, are just nowhere in the, in the, in the, in the firmament anymore. But you, you stood for some, and, I, and, and you, you never lost an election once you got elected. And I just think there's a message there, you know, don't waste your time. Don't mark time. Don't go along and get along. Stand for something. I, I think it matters. Well, for me, it was a, a kind of a no-brainer. I, I had no you desire to— grew up in to, that world, too, didn't you? Yeah. I was going to say, you grow up the son of a, uh, a, a leading thinker in the conservative world, yeah. uh, like my dad. You go there for a reason. Yeah. You don't go there— I mean, one of the things I, I said often in my first campaign and in the others was— uh, I'm not going to Washington to be a congressman. Right. I'm going there to fight a fight. Uh, and there was a huge fight to be fought then, and it had gotten just dramatically uh, in the last three years exponentially worse. Okay, that raises a really good question. So we were all excited with the Gingrich Revolution of 94 that you were a part of. And great fun it was great fun and you probably enacted the most important piece of policy legislation probably since world war ii or the civil rights act maybe since the civil rights act of this of 1964 and that was welfare reform that was a monumental effort and so when we and come they've back, taken it back yeah, well that How was tragic. my question with that great revolution of 94 have we built on it or have we receded? And maybe when we come back on the other side of this break, you can address the answer to that question and Absolutely. why. Yeah, let's Happy do, to do it. Okay. John Shattuck is my guest, Congressman John Shattuck. He and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Congressman John Shattuck is my guest during the break. Young David, back in his seat as producer, was uh, regaling John with uh, the stories of his peregrinations in Washington, D.C. He brought me this little memento Very back. Nice. That ring a bell? Yep. Yeah. Little matchbook old from the old Emmett Gill. If only old Emmett Grill. Sorry, if only I still smoked. <laughs> but we'll we'll keep it in the mantle. We'll we'll keep it in on on display. Famous place. So everybody long as should go. Dad everybody goes to Washington should go there. Yeah. Right? Yep. And and young David did. He took my advice. Um so I guess my point was we were all kind of I I don't mean this pejoratively. We were drunk with excitement in 94, 95. Absolutely. You remember it. I do. I remember, remember law school professors were jumping off buildings. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> What's going to happen to the Commerce Clause? You know, stuff like that. But you guys enacted a huge piece of legislation in 96, the welfare reform legislation, which was really one of like maybe a handful of times in our history where we undid something like an entitlement and uh, took a real hammer to Lyndon Johnson's Great Society 
Well, it took a addiction. hammer to it, but, but an intelligent hammer. Uh, hugely. I, and uh, it got people it, it to work. It isn't that it we dignity. did away with the program. It, is, it was that we said, you know, if you can't work, you're going to get help. Right. Uh, the government will be there for you. Right. But if you can work, then you should work. Yeah. And it allowed people to both work by looking for work and work by doing some work. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, was a, you know, it was just a... Obvious or, or you know, clearly sensible revision of the nation's welfare laws, and yet it's gone. That was my question. How can that be? How could they? T- how yeah. can you repeal it? How can you say no? Yeah. Uh, people who are fully capable of working shouldn't be asked to work or even to look for a job. For God's sake, happens the same way. That today's news tells us that Joe Biden just canceled millions of dollars of college student debt. Same way. What did Obama say? I have a telephone and a pen. You know, um, so we make these gains as conservatives or Republicans. We create an incentive for people not to work. Yeah. Or an incentive for people not to repay their debts. Yeah. Well, if you incentivize something, you're going to get more of it. And it seems to me, I just can't get out of my head. I had an interview. She's the editor of um, the opinion page at Newsweek, interesting thinker, Bacha Unger Sargon. She said to me on this show about two weeks ago, I said, where is the Democratic Party now? Because she comes out of the Democratic Party. And she says, well, they really only have one conveyor belt, and that's the college and university system. And boy, I think she's right. And it seems to me that that's what what this canceling of student debt is about. It seems to me that's what um, college and career readiness is about, sending people into these institutions. When you were in high school, John, about 10% of our population had a college degree. Today it's 40%. It's not as many as people think, but boy, that is a dramatic, dramatic change. And we're governed by this kind of pseudo seems like we're governed by it. this kind of pseudo sophisticated intellectualization of everything but it always tilts left it it's always just no, tilts it left. just always tilts left for whatever reason because those institutions lean left yeah. and lean left pretty dramatically maybe even and they know the role that they have which is to be a conveyor belt for the democratic party i think and that's what they believe they should be doing and are doing and will fight to do and if we don't change it, we're going to continue to move in that direction. We did other great things. Some of our fiscal conservatives will remember that uh, we actually balanced the budget. That's right. Yeah. I think the last time it was ever done. And you, ca- you cut cap gains. Yep. Uh, we did uh, a whole list. What you did, did a whole lot, bu- bunch of that. Of with America. And that was. And it has gotten worse. You asked that question. Yeah. So this is what's weird. You did it before there was Fox News. Yep. Fox News didn't exist until Dole versus Clinton in 96. You did it. Really, there was only one radio host at the time, King Rush. There was not this firmament that no, we do. No, no, that no, no. None of this really nope. existed. Um, Dennis Prager was a weekend host talking about religion, you know, in L.A., in a market, one market. It's amazing we get. You got elected under those conditions. It's amazing we still get. Why is it just as hard now with conservative outlets? Why is it hard to pass legislation and keep it like welfare reform? What's happened to us? Well, I think 
there are obviously a number of factors. I don't think you could start the discussion fairly without saying you have to give a, a stunning amount or a huge amount of credit to Newt Gingrich himself because uh-huh. he went into a Congress that had 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 the Republican Party as the minority party so for so long you couldn't remember the contrary, and he simply said, no, yeah. I'm not going to put up with that. Yeah. Uh, you have to credit uh, Bill Buckley uh, and Ronald Reagan. Yes, and there, there was the groundwork, yes. Those people, yeah. but I would argue that the the biggest factor was the people who went were serious, and they went for a cause. And I think that means what you have to do is credit the American people. I don't think the American people uh, were even would even have thought of debating the value of hard work, low taxes, individual responsibility, um, any of the capitalism, uh, freedom, any of the fundamentals of the conservative movement were not genuinely up for debate back then. The heartland of America knew who they wanted. They wanted a responsible, fiscally conservative government that did its job and they demanded it, and they elected representatives that did that. But also, the Democratic Party was stunningly different than it is now. There were some, you know, an occasional hard leftist. Frank, Ron Dellums, maybe. Ron Dellums, Frank Church. Uh, but Boy, that's interesting. You would put him as a far leftist, would you? I would. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, far leftist the way for things Idaho. Are, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. far leftist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but... Um, who was the defense expert from the state of Washington? Um, I'll think of it. Oh, Jackson. Yes. Yeah. Henry, um, Henry Jackson. Henry Jackson. So, you know, but the Democrat Party was itself a serious party. It didn't believe, its members didn't believe that you, the federal government could exist just to give away benefits right. forever and ever without paying the tab. Yeah. Uh, so all of those things... Uh, made a different end. And as government has gotten bigger and been more and more willing and capable to just uh, put people on the dole, then the reason to get elected is to put people on the dole and stay in power. Let me not to improve the nation. Let, let me talk to you about that left right split when we come back. Um, interesting. Scoop Jackson. Scoop Jackson. Henry Scoop Jackson. Yeah, let me talk to you about that when we come right back. Because in those days. Here's the tease. In those days, there was one self-admitted socialist in all of Congress. Today, there's a whole warp and woof. John Shattuck oh and I'll gosh. be. Yeah, you bet. John Shattuck and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, coming to you from the 960 Broadcast Studio, brought to you by our friends at the Midas Gold Group, the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. John Shattuck is my guest, Congressman John Shattuck. Represented uh, old uh, congressional district four here in Arizona for uh, sixteen years. Yep, sixteen, 16 years. Okay, <laughs> I got it wrong last week. Check in. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that so. was a, there was a question. Sixteen years. I think I undercut your tenure last week. That's all right. That would make me younger. And I it would only make you younger. Yep. <laughs> okay. Good with me. Uh, Some um, people would say if I'd left. As much earlier as you said, that would have shown more judgment. Well, that's funny. <laughs> it's funny because the reason, 
yeah, the reason I should have known is I think you had – well, I was just thinking of Jack Kemp. You know, he too was not in leadership when he was in Congress for about – I don't know. Was he in Congress about 12, 14 years, maybe a little less than you? They but he too me, stood for something and made a name for himself. They wouldn't let me in leadership and I didn't want to get into leadership. Yeah. I, was a, I was a bomb thrower. Yeah. Uh, it was different than today's bomb throwers, but I was a bomb thrower. Yeah. My goal was to cause trouble. Yeah. My goal was to – I looked at the conference and said, look, two-thirds of these people have no philosophy at all. Uh, and the rest are pretty well divided between the right and the left. And so my job – was to get up every day and to drag the conference to the right, knowing that it had to in- engage with the Senate, which would drag everything to the left. Well, that raises my question, because while there are a handful of Republicans at any given time that do that, like you, you look in the mirror and you wonder how you can move the ball forward that day. There's only a handful. We've discussed this a couple segments ago. That doesn't exist on the left. They're all ready to go and raring to go. So I was making the point when you were in Congress, there was one socialist, at least one who was willing to admit he was. Today, there are socialists all over the place, self-declared, in state legislative houses across the country. There's at least five in the House of Representatives. The one who was in the House is now on the powerful committee chairman in the Senate. How has the country moved more left, and yet conservatism has kind of just stayed about where it is. Are they more united, and we've always been divided? I know we, I know we had divisions. I know that you know Buckley, who you mentioned earlier, National Review, kind of tried to fuse the differences within the movement. But are we so scattered now that we just can't move the ball as many yards as the left can? Because they're not divided; they're just not. Well, And the distance between Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and anyone in her party is a matter of centimeters. The distance between, say, I don't know, uh, Tom Cotton or John Kennedy, you know, and most Republicans is yards. It's yards. It's yards of distance. So there are so many answers you give, give to this. I would start, the first answer I'd give is we think. Okay. The truth is, Democrats don't think. Okay. Republicans have a philosophy, and and they read philosophy, and they study philosophy, and they think about, well, what will make the country better for everyone? Uh, the left, of course, says we only want to make it better for the rich, but that's not true. Uh, it's clear that we fight to make the nation better for everyone, and that we recognize that the founders' principles uh, achieve that. So we typically are united around those principles. But that's kind of being around uh, united around a a set of broad principles. Democrats are united around one thing, giving away money. A good friend of mine, I think I've said this on one of the first shows we ever did, said, look, Democrats say to America, join us and we'll give you candy bars. Republicans say, uh, come uh, be a part of our effort and we'll tell you to eat your broccoli. That's a tough fight. Um, so I think we are going to inherently be more divided. Uh, I think the other thing is that uh, 
because Democrats worship government and have a philosophy that says government knows better how you should live your life than you do, they are naturally in love with government. And so the highest calling in their world is to be a part of the government, which means they instinctively always want to expand it, always wanted to have more money, always wanted to spend more money. Republicans uh, begin by saying, look, I'm a capitalist and I want to build uh, an empire. I want to I want to get in real estate and do think good things for real estate in my community. I want to uh, be a successful banker. I want to be Elon Musk. You know, there's a different ambition. Uh, Republicans aren't born with an ambition to go into government and grow it because they don't think it should be running our lives or be the largest influence in our lives. Hold so, that thought. Hold that thought. Let me pick up on that when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Congressman John Shattig of Shattig Associates, LLC, is our guest, former congressman representing our old 4th Congressional District. John, you were talking about how the left and the Democrats have created their own kind of self-employment schedule when it comes to government. I cleared a room last week, unpleasantly, <laughs> at a fundraiser. Uh <laughs> choose not to repeat it <clears throat> but i thought it was kind of emblematic of who we, and where we are as a party um because someone came up to me and went after me for supporting a republican who is not to their taste because he is not to their taste this republican running for office is not to that person's taste and and we do that a lot here I think you know what I'm talking about. That that's nominee, precisely yeah. That's in precisely fa- in fact, Reagan. your name came up. They said, "Well, you know, wouldn't you prefer Shattuck?" And I said, "Well, he ain't running. You know? <laughs> that's not for anything." Yeah, well, not yet, but <laughs> certainly not that race. Um, but we do that. We have this this weird self anointed, self imposed sense of moral superiority that the left doesn't have. And so we'll leave slates blank or we'll stay home or we'll just, you know, not do the right thing on behalf of a movement that no matter how many times Reagan said it still hasn't sunk in that your 80 percent friend is not your 20 percent enemy. They don't have that view on the left. They don't have that view on the left. As a matter of fact, clearly their 80 percent friend is is their friend on right. Every, the, right. All, for all things. They don't and even they, have 80. Yeah, no. <laughs> they, they only have right. 90s and plus. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, Republicans demand perfection, yeah. which is folly. Uh, but also, I think Republicans fail to understand elections. It's one of the frustrations of my life, and that is um, Republicans, because they themselves are driven by philosophy, which is great. You know, I wouldn't have it any other way. Then demand that their candidates and the members of their party all be driven by philosophy. But that's not the world. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the fraction of us that care about these issues, 24 7, 365, is tiny. So we have to motivate people by uh, arguments and persuasion and by just earning their trust. Uh, I think 
trust is the single most important factor in any election, and philosophy is not. You show me in a race where it was decided by philosophy, and I'll show you somebody who probably lost the general election. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Republicans demand perfection in everything and don't recognize that that doesn't advance the overall cause. Uh, and and what what the voter vote, what motivates the voter shouldn't really matter. It's, you know, how are they going to vote? You know, if they uh, are going to vote for the conservative candidate because they trust that candidate, not because they uh, are deeply committed to that candidate's philosophy um who cares actually that's all the better and so uh, and of course the democrats appeal is always pretty easy it's not uh join us to fight for principles of freedom or individual responsibility uh uh, it's join us and we'll give you goodies we'll give you largesse uh the government will agree that uh, like nancy pelosi said if you want to spend your life just playing your guitar, not writing songs or contributing, just sit there playing your guitar, she's perfectly fine with that. So the guy that wakes up and says, why do I, why would I want to work? He knows where he's going to vote. And, and that makes it uh, necessarily a bigger challenge for us. Uh, it, it, it would drive watching the unity amongst Democrats in the U.S. House would drive me crazy. It, it, I just I'd go nuts. Um, and yet I also had some quiet disdain for Republicans who only voted the way leadership wanted. Right. Uh, that that was frustrating, too. So your daddy toiled in the fields of this party and movement. And you did. You saw some of this, too, in your salad years where the party, our party was divided on things like foreign policy. Robert Taft, for example, versus the rest of the Republican Party. <laughs> Young David, do you have a dad? You have an Eisenhower. Okay, David ended up on the right side. He has an Eisenhower lapel pin today. Is the divide the same now with regard to foreign policy? Uh, or is it, I in think, other words, is it the same that we've always had or is it more strident and dif- different? Well, I think it's much different and much more strident. Um, we have had times when we've been divided in the past. And in Arizona, I tell people, look, it was c- cyclical. Uh, we had uh, a divide when the John Birch Society was in its ascendancy. Right. We had a divide in the party when Evan Meekham was in right. his ascendancy. Right. Uh, and and I think we have one to some degree or now. I'm not so worried about... Uh, the I was not worried about the divide we had in the party in in the early Trump years. I'm now deeply worried over the divide over Ukraine. Yeah, it seems to me that it is a very, very radically different thing to say I'm against forever wars than to say we have no business defending uh, a nation uh, in Eastern Europe which is brutally and inexplicably attacked by Russia. Swallowed, just swallowed, swallowed, totally swallowed. We were more supportive of getting Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait than we are of getting 
Putin out of and that's nuts. Ukraine, and it's they, nuts. And they say, well, Ukraine is corrupt. No more corrupt than lots of places. Including Kuwait. And, and, including <laughs> Kuwait. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and, okay, they're corrupt. We'll go down that road again of demanding perfection. And the United States might be the only free country in the world if... if if we head in that direction, do you think the and contras we'll stay? Do you think the contras were operating on general accounting principles? <laughs> just, I don't think so. But I have I have very very good friends who just say uh, we have no stake in in what Russia does. If you'd have told me five years ago, maybe eight years ago, that Russia was going to invade a neighboring country and launch missiles, destroy everything blow the place to smithereens and send in tanks and uh, what are they called? howitzers and all these weapons. And the United States was going to basically sit on the sidelines or worse still was going to promise support and then essentially renege. I would said, no, we've learned that lesson. Yes, we're against forever wars. You know, trust me, I have, you know, the Vietnam War was set the example. Uh, and then when Bush said uh, we weren't in a forever war uh in the Middle East, uh, he was dead wrong, and I opposed that every minute that I could. But this is a completely different situation. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll pick it up next week. John Shattuck, thank you very much, sir. God bless you. Godspeed. And let's get you back into a race. <laughs> Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, portions of which brought to you by our friends at Y-Refi. They have a great investment opportunity in a secure and collateralized portfolio. It really invests uh, control and flexibility in you. You can turn your income on or off. You can compound it. There are absolutely no fees. There is no attack on principle. If you ever need your money back, you get a monthly statement with no surprises. And best of all, you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return, 10.25% fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. Wish young David good luck tonight. He's uh, on a quest to become a precinct committeeman, which is I am great. indeed. And uh, in your legislative district. I don't know if the—no, I don't think the election will be tonight, but— No, uh, it'll be in April, but okay. I am now officially announcing my candidacy you are announcing to the people your of Arizona and right. our larger audience across America. Do you want me to endorse you or denounce you? What will help you the best? <laughs> Whichever the will best? get me elected. Uh, all right. <laughs> all right. Um, good luck on that. I— um, I'll end where I started. I I was I was doing higher education reform today at the state legislature, and um, it is incredible to me um, just how lousy. The more you look at our education system, the professoriate is, and I had occasion to remind myself of that and revisit that point. Um, when I was talking with legislators today and, you know, talking about the kinds of things we're here to reform and reminded myself of that line of William Buckley's from 70 years ago, 70 years ago, generally speaking, he wrote, the academicians have at best lost their perspicacity, insight, 
it is more likely that they have lost their appetite for truth and their integrity. And the outlook is all the gloomier for the knowledge that it's the same group that has educated the new generation with their concepts of truth and integrity and reason. Doing that for 70 years, folks. For 70 years. At least 70 years. That's when William Buckley first noticed it. We are educating that group with professors' concepts of truth and integrity and reason, which is not the American people's concepts of truth and integrity and reason, which is how, over the course of 70 years and millions of graduates a year, you can change the American people. That's why I spend so much time in education reform. All right, folks. God bless you all. Thanks for being with us. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth, and class is dismissed.